Uh, a couple of things as we get started. I wanted to first congratulate the Bulldogs, the Rolla High School Bulldog basketball team. They went 24 and 4, which is phenomenal. Would you give them a round of applause? Just an incredible season, and I don't think I'll ever forget that Elias comeback from 22 points back. It, I don't know what it was in the fourth quarter, but they came back in the fourth quarter by almost that much. And it was just an amazing, amazing season. And we really appreciate how Coach Miller coaches and cares about the kids. It's not just all about wins and losses and all that. And also, I wanted to uh, just kind of preview this. It, it's, a, it's our honor to be going to Thailand the day after Easter. Our oldest daughter, Natalie, will be married. And so we're going to be flying over there. As soon as service is over here, we're packing and we're be in the air. And, and uh, the following weekend, Coach Miller has agreed to, to cover for us. So he'll be sharing some things about whatever he, God gives him to share about. So I know that we talked about it a little bit last week, and I'm excited about what you're going to get uh, that day. So uh, looking forward to that. Um, the other thing is, uh, I don't know if you've ever had to experience this with somebody that you're in business with or you're married to, but Diane and I have learned this over the years, and it's not been an easy one to learn, but it's called mutual submission. I'm looking at these guys because they're the masters at it. They just, Peggy and Don, they can submit to each other just like that, but Diane and I weren't that good as them, and we had to learn it. Um, but one of the things that we had to learn a lot of that uh, and practice it a lot when we were renovating this building, um, we came to the, the entrance to the kids uh, downstairs. And one of the reasons we wanted this building was because it had so much room downstairs for the kids. And uh, we were just cramped in the other place. We couldn't house them. And, and it was so exciting to uh, this all to come together and still is to me. Um, and it is for the kids, too, I'm sure. But I wanted to do things kind of cool. I'm not a real cool person, but I like to do, try to do things kind of cool. And, and, uh, but I thought, oh, it'd be kind of cool to rename that, you know, instead of Kids Cave, let's misspell it in Kids Cave with a K instead of a C. And we went back and forth. And she's like a journalist, trained journalist from Mizzou and has worked in journalism all her life. And she says, I can't handle that. And uh, so I was like, okay, we'll just spell it right. And then like the, I don't know, for my birthday or something, we, we had Jimmy made the signs and we put the signs up and didn't really realize it until it was up that, that her, uh, Diane and Jimmy worked it out to spell it wrong and put the K up there. And, and I came in and looked at it, it's like, oh, cool. It's spelled wrong, you know, and uh, I was really blessed with that. And then it wasn't too long. One of the kids came by and said, that's spelled wrong. <laughs> I was like, uh, I need to quit trying to be cool, you know. <laughs> Anyhow, we're talking about steps, and this message is, is kind of, we're going to patch into what we talked about last weekend. You can go online and look at that. Um, but today's about drawing a line, and we'll get to that eventually. Uh, I want to start with this text. Um, uh, what David wrote 
about walking with God and trying to follow him. And he said these words in Psalm 37. It happens to be one of my favorite, probably the favorite psalm that I like reading. Um, I've seen this play out in my life. Even when I was first starting to follow God, I, 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 I don't know, I just latched onto this psalm. It just meant a lot to me for some reason. Um, and it's never been far from me since then. But he said, David said, King David, the, the second king of Israel, and really today the best king that Israel ever had. And he said, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. So I wanted to focus on that word steps and how important it is that we recognize that we have steps, that God always orders steps for us. Every one of us has steps for us to follow. Uh, it's easy, I think, I've not really understood this all my life. Um, I, I've been more conscious of it even later uh, now in the last few years, how God has never left me, never left me alone to try to figure this life out. He's always put steps in front of me. And now that I look back, I've got a few years now that I can look back and I see, wow, there, were, there really were steps. And there are steps now. And sometimes we get so overwhelmed with what we need to be doing or what could happen, and we get overwhelmed by just the sheer amount of decisions that we make. I just want to encourage you today that God never overwhelms you except with his love, like we sang this morning. But he never overwhelms us with too much to do. He just has steps for us. If we'll just be obedient to those steps that he has for us, you will see that it all works out. It doesn't mean that it all is easy. But if we'll take those steps, everybody can take a step. And everybody has a step to take. So maybe you can't end a destructive habit in your life overnight or develop a, a new healthy habit overnight but if you'll take one step today and then another one tomorrow and keep taking those steps pretty soon you'll see that that destructive habit has dissipated it's no longer got the power in your life that it once had and then you'll begin to see new habits are forming not overnight but eventually they begin to form good strong habits that bless your life and bless other people too through you so Last week, I gave you the first of two private steps for your private life. And today, I'm going to give you the second one of those steps. And we're just going to cover two of them. And then next week, I want to, for the next two weeks, I want to give you public steps so that your influence can grow and increase because God wants to use you, right? He has a plan. He's called you. He wants you to be used of Him. He wants to take you places. He wants to use the gifts that he's given you, the abilities that you've got, and he wants to use you to influence other people for good. So we'll talk about that coming. Um, but before we get into this second step, I want to go back for a minute to our first step on the importance of waiting, on the importance of waiting. And look at a man who tried to skip a step. And I want to encourage you today with a Oh, my. I just went blank on my iPad. My mind went blank earlier. Now my iPad went blank. Just give me a second here. Time for a new iPad.
<laughs> when they work, exactly. Should I have you stand up and shake somebody's hand? Or <laughs> you already know it, <laughs> Thank you for your patience. Almost there. This did it to me a while back, and I was thinking, you know, I'd better just run this out on hard copy. No, it won't do it again. It was just a fluke. Okay, so here we, we're back. Okay, so um, I want to take you back to this idea of waiting. And we talked about being driven and being called. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. Um, I want to go back to this idea of waiting and go back to a person who skipped a step. And again, I want to come back to this because you don't want to skip a step. If you try to skip steps, you're going to pay a price. And we're going to see a man who lost it all because he tried to skip a step. And his name was Samuel. Now, I don't have this first... Uh, it's in Samuel. His name was Saul, um, King Saul. It was a, he was the king before David. Uh, I don't have this first scripture for you, but just listen to this. There was a man of Benjamin, a mighty man of power, speaking of Israel, and he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. So I first want you to notice that he's very... Nice-looking man. Um, there was not more a handsome person than he among the children of Israel. And from his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. This guy has a lot going for him. King Saul was the first king of Israel. And he had three unearned characteristics that could have been used for good or it could have been used for evil. He was also good with words. So he had all these things going for him. He had wealth, he had attractive appearance, he had a well-developed body, and he was good with words. He had a lot going for him. And he was head and shoulders taller than everybody, so he stuck out. He was a natural-born leader. All right? Now, no doubt these characteristics are in part what helped him rise to the top. But he had this thing we're calling drivenness that really got the better of him. He became incensed with a hunger for power. He had to have battles. He had to win those battles. He had to conquer cities. He had to expand his kingdom. When he was faced with a battle with the Philistines, who had a lot of giants on their side, he became anxious and he waited at Gilgal for Samuel the prophet to come and after the necessary 
time he would offer the sacrifices. But while Saul was waiting for Samuel to arrive at Gilgal, he got impatient. Because the man of God wasn't there to do what he was supposed to do, and he wasn't there arriving on time. And Saul thought that Samuel's timetable, God's timetable, didn't really fit with his timetable. Have you ever been there? I'm ashamed to say that. I've been there many times. And that's what I have to learn when I'm in that place to learn patience and to learn how to wait. It's very, very difficult. Saul was in that place. Samuel wasn't confirming to his personal goals. So he took matter in his own hands, and he ought not have done this. He disobeyed the commandment, and instead of waiting for Samuel, the, the person who should have been offering the sacrifices, he got impatient and just offered the sacrifices himself. He stepped out of what he was called to do and got into a place that he ought not have been. And that's the temptation when we come to a place of impatience and things aren't going the way that we want them to go or hope that they go. And we, instead of taking that first step and waiting and learning to become a worshiper in that place of waiting, we go ahead and do the thing that we ought not do and step out of a place that we're called into a place that we're not called. That's the temptation when we have to wait. So from this time on, Saul began to see it all slip away. And it happened pretty quickly. He lost God's favor, and he did something that you don't want to do. He gained God's wrath in the Old Testament. He held people at a certain accountability who were kings and priests and prophets that maybe he didn't hold everybody else accountable. He said, well, you want to, I want to be a king. I want to be a prophet. I want to be a priest. Well, maybe you're not, you, you don't <laughs> because the accountability level is a lot higher. Um, so what happened was God removed him from authority and then he died a horrific death. Now, I was reading the story again, just kind of going over it. And it was sobering to read it again, to see what happens when we don't wait, when we try to skip steps and just get into things that God's really not called us to. What might have begun with a healthy desire in Saul to lead God's people it morphed into an out-of-control hunger for power, personal notoriety, all because he didn't cultivate this often overlooked step of the inner development of our spirit, the inside. We are always going for the urgent when the inside needs attention. So, what about you? What about me? What about our lives? Are we too busy to cultivate that on the inside of us? Are we out of control in our thought life? 
And are we asking ourselves the hard questions, which in this case would be just one simple word, why? Why are we too busy? Why are we out of control in our thought life or in any other way? Why? What is it that we are trying to meet, satisfy on the inside, that really only God can satisfy? And we have to ask ourselves, do we really realize that on the inside of us, there's a beast? There's this monster that won't be satisfied. And we try to feed and placate it. And we don't control it like we should. And I want to ask you today, can you identify what that monster is, that beast on the inside that won't be satisfied? Do you know the warning signs that it is leading you a direction of self-destruction? You're working as hard as you can to build something. But what is it? Scripture says, unless the Lord builds the house, then they that labor on it, it's all built in vain. So I have to look at my life and I have to really analyze it critically and say, is God in this or is he not? Is what I'm trying to build, is it for his honor or is it just something to satisfy something inside me which can be attributed to that monster? So who's building your house, your career, your business, your family? If stress and schedules, job and finance, goals are making you something into something that you don't want to become, then let's take another look at it, ask ourselves the hard questions. Saul's drive led to impatience. And he tried to skip a step. And it cost him everything. And then God had to look for a replacement. Now let's get into the replacement. He looked, God looked for a replacement for King Saul. And it's an interesting dynamic what happens. And you read the story and it's just amazing. He looked past all the top picks. He was looking for something. God was looking for If we can see what God was looking for and aspire to those same characteristics and attributes in ourselves, in our own development, our own walk with God, then maybe God will pick us to use in somebody's life. And maybe we'll become a little bit more effective for eternal things. And I think that's probably your heart's cry, your heart's desire. I know it is mine that there's something that can happen in there so that God would pick me, see me fit to be used in some way in somebody's life. Because there's really nothing that satisfies like that. When God uses you to speak an encouragement or in some way help somebody, there's really nothing like that. That beats all. I've enjoyed some things in my life. Nothing compares to that. It really, there's really nothing. And it's like, I don't need any accolades for that. I don't need anything. It's just the idea that God would, God of heaven would use me to encourage somebody. That, 
That's incredible. Incredible. So what we're going to see God do is that he's looking for this replacement to lead his people. And he looks past all the great picks that were available. You know who he picks? He picks a worshiper who is content, who is alone, who everybody else overlooked. And he picked David. And David is out by himself. And a lot of times people think that David was just this runny little kid that took on Goliath, and he was uh, much smaller than Goliath, but he had already proved himself as a warrior. We forget that. He proved himself as a 17-year-old. He was a man of courage. Already at 17, he had killed a bear, and he killed a lion with his bare hands. And he had already proved himself as a, a mighty warrior, And he didn't think it above himself to go back out and tend to the sheep of his dad's property. I think that shows so much about David that we don't want to just overlook because so much of the time we think, well, I'm above cleaning bathrooms. I'm not. She's not. I'm not above anything. I love David's spirit. I love his attitude. I learn from it every time. And he's alone. And he learns these things from Psalm 37, saying, commit your way to the Lord. This is David speaking to us right now. Really, God speaking to us right now. Commit your way to the Lord. And this is what David learned. Trust in him, and he'll do this. He'll do this. Maybe you're in a time of waiting. Maybe you're in a time of of, uh, being alone. Commit your future, your way to the Lord and trust in Him. Trust in who? Trust in God. And He will do this. And He will make your righteous rewards shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. And then He says these words. He says, be still before the Lord. How many of you, that's your favorite thing to do is to be still. Talking about technology, technology really distracts us. Sometimes we have to turn the things off and just be still before him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And a little bit later in Psalm 55, David, the same author says, cast your care on the Lord and he'll sustain you. He'll never let the righteous be shaken. So maybe, I'm just suggesting this, maybe your next step is to be still for a period, to wait, to trust, to cast your cares, and to get direction for your next step. We often think driven people are the ones who accomplish things, and in many, t- in many situations they are. But Jesus put together a group of guys that definitely weren't driven, didn't show a lot of motivation. Um, had a lot of hang-ups. Just think of these boys that he brought together. Uh, just like God did with David, 
Jesus looked past a lot of the high rollers probably and handpicked some guys that seemingly were misfits. There were definitely more qualified people, more educated people, more talented people, more motivated people. But Jesus must have sensed something in these 12 that he knew he could cultivate. And I don't know exactly, you can't really see from Scripture how driven these 12 were. They must have been responsible people because they were already following other spiritual leaders or they had their own private businesses that they were very faithful to and successful in. But one thing we know about each one of them, they were called by Jesus. And we each, you, have a call from Jesus. No matter what you're called to do, it's an important call. And when you live that call and you stay in step with the Holy Spirit for your life, you will live the, the dream. That's the real dream. There's nothing like living in the plan of God for your life. So my heart to you today, find that call. Every one of us has it. Find the next step that God has for you. It's worth it. Gordon McDonald wrote in Ordering Your Private World, which a lot of this text comes from. Driven people <clears throat> often project a bravado of confidence as they forge ahead with their achievement-oriented life plan. But often, at the moment when it is least expected, adver adversities and obstructions conspire, and there can be personal collapse. Called people, on the other hand, possess strength from within. A quality, get this, a quality of perseverance and power that are impervious to the blows from without. Did you get that? Perseverance and power that is impervious to the blows from without. Isn't that a quality that you would like to have? That no matter what life hands you, those blows that could just topple anybody, there's something in there that's a power that's just stronger than anything that life can blow your way. So who are some called people? I think Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a, was a, a lady that was called. And it says of her that Mary treasured all these things up and pondered them in her heart. I think Caleb in the Old Testament was a man who was called. And it says about him, he said, I follow the Lord my God wholeheartedly. I think Stephen in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, was a man who was called. It was said of him that he was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And he became one of the first martyrs. And there's a man whom Jesus said was the greatest prophet. His name was John the Baptist. And here's a man who definitely was called. 
He had a powerful personality. And you either loved John the Baptist or you hated him. There wasn't really much in between. And eventually one of the haters had him beheaded. But he was the direct opposite of King Saul that we started with. Saul saw David rising in influence. And how did he react? He reacted with violence. He tried to kill David wherever he went. He chased him all over the country trying to kill him. But how did John the Baptist react when Jesus was on the rise in influence? You know what he said? Get these words. He said, I must decrease and he must increase. There's something about John the Baptist that Jesus loved. Not only the fact that he was his cousin, but even deeper than that, he saw true humility in this man. And he said, there's no other prophet in the Old Testament that compares to John the Baptist. And I aspire to those qualities, don't you? I would like my pride to bow its knee and I would like humility to rise and get stronger in my heart. So how do I get there? How do I not react like Saul and be jealous of those that are on the rise? And how can I act more like John the Baptist and be happy for those that God uses, no matter who they are? Humility, strength, confidence all comes from being called. So if you follow this call, you'll become more like John the Baptist and here's some things that I found that, that happen to people that answer this call. First of all, number one, called people understand stewardship. Called people understand stewardship. People think, like this, seem to think that when Jesus increased, that that would rattle John. Because John's big crowds had begun to dwindle, and Jesus' crowds had begun to grow. And what's amazing is that some of John's followers, his closest disciples, left him and followed Jesus. And how did John react to that? He's a better man than I. He didn't go follow. Hey, how come you're not following me anymore? He let him go. The more I look at John the Baptist, the more I am impressed with his attitudes. And the reason is because John understands stewardship. John understood that these crowds are not... They never were mine. They never will be mine. They're God's. He's a steward. And he knows that his job is simply to manage for a period of time for the owner. And who's the owner? God's the owner. How different that is from the driven Saul. He thought his crown 
and his crowd was forever. And he fought for it to the bitter end. So how does that relate to my life right here in 2018? Who owns your career? Who really owns your money? Who owns your influence? Is it you that you have to fight for it? Or is it God that you can easily let go of all of it? Driven people think they own it all. Called people know that they're stewards. Just managing it for a period of time. Listen to these words that Paul writes to Titus. In Titus chapter 1, he says, An overseer, that's anything that you manage, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain. These are all qualifications that we should put up in front of our face. Am I measuring up? Because if we're not, we need to correct, or else we end up with destruction in our lives. I remember an older minister, when I was first starting, said, read these every year. Read these every year. And challenge yourself. Don't ever get far from these, because these are the qualifications that will keep you useful. Not quick-tempered or drunk, a drunkard or violent or greedy of gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. See, every week I walk through this building that God's graced us with, and I just thank God for it, because I know where we've come from. And even if God were to ever, I hope not. I I have no intention of going anywhere else. I I like what I'm doing. I, I love the call that God has put on me. But if God were to move me somewhere else, then I I need to be able to let it go. And you know, I'm not the youngest guy on the block anymore. So that day's gonna come where I have to give it off to a younger guy or gal. And When that day happens, which it will, am I going to be like, yeah, just take it from me. Just try and take it from me. (laughs) I built this thing. You know, I didn't build this thing. God's building this, right? And I I walk around this thing, and I I was like, I remember where we came from, that little building across the street, and we didn't have room for the kids. I know you're getting tired of hearing this story, but I love telling it. (laughs) Because I spent 26 years over there. Wondering where God had gone. Have you forgotten me? And he never had. He never had. And I just want to know, I just want you to know that if you're in a place where you're waiting, and it seems like you've been waiting and waiting and waiting, maybe God's doing something on the inside of you that's going to be worth it. Maybe God's going to put a ministry in your hands, a, a way to influence people that you've been waiting years for, that couldn't have happened in any other way except that he do those things on the inside of you while you're waiting. Don't skip the step. Rejoice in the step. And I'll, I'll share this with you. I remember it was probably two or three years before we ever got into this that something happened on the inside of me. And I remember it well because it was, God had shown me a long time ago that it was going to be like 
waiting for my wife. I knew that when she came into my life, it was going to be worth the wait. And it was. She's a lot feister than I thought she was going to be, but she's definitely worth the wait. And it's, it's the same way with this building. I got to this place where, you know, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay. I'll just keep doing what I'm going to do. And God, it's, it's in your hands. There's, you know it when it's in his hands. You just really know it. And I, don't, I can't tell you how I got there. It just that all of a sudden I just, I remember, I do remember one of our leadership meetings and, and we had talked about what we were going to do. We laid out all the ideas and, and we're, it's just like every meeting that we'd had before trying to solve the problem. We got so frustrated with it. And I just remember telling the guys and I just said, I don't know how it's going to happen. I just have peace that God's got it. It may not have been those words, but that's the essence of what I said. And you know, God did have it. But I walk around this, I, I do a, ch- a building check every time I come in here, just checking things, and I just thank God for it. Thank God for, there's so much more to do. There's so much more to do. There's, I want a visitor center downstairs. I want to, we got all the way down in the kitchen. I want to renovate that down there. I, eventually, I want, want to redo the whole front of that building, you know, bring it up to speed and, uh, we got cracks in the, in the, you don't notice them, but I notice them. You know, pretty soon they're going to be cracked. People are going to fall through those cracks, you know. But we, we're going to have to change some things out there. We need signage out there that's nice looking signage and all those kinds of things. I eventually want to, uh, I'm just, I, you know, I haven't got all this approved yet with our leaders, but, but I, I'd like to put about 100 foot by 50 foot and put all that in the back under roof so that the f- people receiving food don't have to be out in the weather. And it would be a multi-purpose facility where we can do young people down there with their own stage and everything and the balcony and all that. I, I, I see that. I, I, just like I saw this, I, I, I can see it. I feel like God's dropping things in our heart. So much to do. But you know, if when we get to that place where 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 it's time for me to hand it off to the next person, I have to be there now in my heart that nothing gets between me and the call of God on my life. And I'd like to challenge you this morning. Is there anything that you're gripping onto that you need to let go of? Is it a family member that you can't change? Is it a career that you can't let go of? There's things that we hang on to that we ought to be hanging on to God that hard, that tight, gripping God like that, and not things and not people. Does that make sense? And I'm constantly fighting this. I'm constantly fighting on hanging on to things that, because I don't know if you're like me in this, I don't like change. (laughs) Change threatens me, and I like change when I can control change, but I don't like change forced on me. But sometimes God brings us into this place where we are finding ourselves in a desert. 
And how we handle ourselves in that desert makes all the difference. And as I wrap up, I want to give you some things. I get, I get this from John the Baptist because he was in a desert, right? So I want to find this passage here in Luke chapter 3. So you guys have to go through a lot of, to find this other one. Luke chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Uh, look at this, it says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, skip, 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 during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, who were they? They were the high-rolling religious leaders having a good time. And notice why they're having a good time in Jerusalem, where is the guy that God's using the most? In the desert. Not really having a good time. Doing without. Can I say this? If you find yourself in a desert right now, it's okay. God will be with you. And it could be that he'll use you coming out of that desert like nobody else's business. And look at John. It says the word of God came. It could be that you, God has put you in this desert. I say that carefully because I'm not saying that God does bad things to us. But there are times that he leads us into desert areas. I'll let you define what that desert is. But God does use the desert times. He does use the desert places in our lives. And one of the major reasons he puts us in deserts is so that he can speak to us when we're not distracted. And it's so hard. Because nobody sees your pain. Nobody sees what you're going through because you're all alone in this desert. But that's okay. That's good. Because when nobody else can see what you're going through, God sees it all. And he knows above everybody how to handle you, how to talk to you, how to grow things in you that only the, des the desert can bring out. Just let me go a little bit further with this. So the word of God came to John where? In the desert. To John, son of Zechariah, in, everybody say it, in the desert. Here's what we can learn in the desert. Number one, in the desert, I learned dependence on God. And you're thinking, great. And the reason I can learn dependence on God because everything else has been taken away. Everything else is gone and I'm forced to trust Him. Before it was just all placation. It was all just ideas, empty ideas. Now it's for real. I have to depend on Him. 
Number two, in the desert, I can think and I can plan and I can prepare. And we all know we need times where we're quiet. So this is the second message on, hey, don't skip this step. Make sure you take that first step and wait and be patient and be quiet. The desert forces us to slow down and hear his voice. Pain will do that too. Number three, in the desert, and this is so important, I can find new power. There's something that you can find from two people, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ himself. When they came out of the desert, John faced opposition like you just would not believe. If you've ever faced criticism and opposition, in my life it's just been a little bit, but that has been nasty. And it, it made me into a different person. It, it could either break me or it could make me better. And I had the choice. And I will have the choice in the future when people criticize. John came out and he faced so much criticism, he actually lost his head. He was destroyed. He was killed. He was martyred. But he did it all in power. He spoke things that were so powerful. And that was more important to God. And get this, it was more important to speak those things in power to those that needed to be spoken to. It was more important for John himself to do that it was more important for him to do that than to keep on living. That's power. Jesus came out of the desert, and it says that he came out full with the Holy Spirit and full of power. Guys, hang on your hat while you're in the desert. God's empowering you. There's things that he's going to call you to do. There's things that he's going to call you to say. There's new influence that's coming in your life that you're going to need his power for. It, 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 it's almost strange the, the flipping attitude that takes place when, you, when you're in the desert and you know God is working, you know God is taking this hard place, these bitter things that have happened to you, and you know that he's changing those things. You almost, it's crazy, you, you almost look forward to it. Oh, I'm still in the desert. He's still doing some stuff. <laughs> You almost look forward to it, in, not in a sadistic way, but you're, you're, you're excited because when you know when you come out of that desert, you're going to be a different person. It's going to be better. So in the desert, we find his power. Jesus was driven by the Holy Spirit. Literally, in the, in the little language of the New Testament, it says that, it, it, you know, in our translation, it says he was led into the Spirit. The literal language says that he was driven into the desert by the Holy Spirit. He was thrown into the desert. How many of you been there? You, you just found that, man, I just was thrown in a desert. I'm, I, just, I didn't ask for this. I don't remember doing anything to cause this. I just found myself here, and it was like I'm driven into it. It's okay. God's going to meet you there. Like, you probably wouldn't have ever found them in any other place. The desert's okay. I've been to Phoenix. Phoenix is wonderful. <laughs> People wear shorts. They're just relaxed. I just love Phoenix. 
And the food is incredible. The Mexican food there. The desert's okay. The desert's okay. I don't like the heat. Took Tori there for school and got out of the car. It was 109, I think it was. And I melted right on the spot. I don't do heat. But you get in the air conditioning and go to the restaurants. The desert's good. Here's number four, and this is what this whole message is about. Number four, in the desert I can draw a line in the sand. In the desert, there's a lot of sand in the desert. Draw a line and say, okay, I'm in the desert. Here's the line I'm drawing. No more will I allow my complaining to cross that line. No more will I allow my negative attitudes to cross that line. Sand is hot. I'm drawing a line. I'm coming out of this by God's grace, his power, his help. But I will not let myself go beyond that anymore. Because when I get in here and I get negative about my desert experience, I get nowhere. I get nowhere. And then I got 40 years to go in this desert in circles. No matter what's going on in my life, I'm drawing a line. So I'm asking you to do this. I was actually trying to find something that would have a bunch of sand in it so we could just draw a line just to physically do it. We don't have that. But in your heart, in your mind, would you draw a line? Say, you know, I'm in a desert, but I'm drawing a line. And I'll never complain in this desert anymore. I'm not going to complain about my circumstances. I'm not going to complain about what happened to me. I'm not going to complain about anything. I'm just going to become what David was. I'm going to be still and become a worshiper. And I'm just going to honor God. You do those things in the desert, he'll bring you out in power. Let's stand. As we wrap up and close today, what I want to just give you an invitation to do is, I'll tell you what, why don't we just close, your, close our eyes and bow our heads for a moment. And I'm going to pray, but before I pray, I'd like you to do something. If you have listened to this and you say, yeah, that's me, Dave, I'm in a desert. Would you just slip your hand up so that we know that we're praying for you? Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Nobody looking out around right now. If Those of you that, you don't have to do this, but just as a, a way to get the greater body of us to be in agreement with you, would you, if you raise your hand, if you're comfortable doing this, would you step out in the aisle so that we can pray for you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, you can look around. What I'd like you to do now, look around for the people that are standing in the aisle or have come up forward. Got one over here. Got these up here. If you feel comfortable, would you, you know, not everybody's comfortable doing this, but if you feel comfortable to come down and pray and pray for just lay your hands on these people while I pray. Just make sure everybody's got a hand on them that wants prayer today. Tori, would you jump down here, please? Help me pray. Huh? I can't hear you. 
Yeah, is Katie around? Yeah. Just need more prayers. Mark, would you put your hand on Daryl, please? Gina, may I ask you to help me pray? Would you pray for Tina? And just because I ask you to pray for one person, doesn't mean that you can't pray for other people too. Just move around as you feel. All right. Now, if you're close to somebody, just reach out your hand toward them. Everybody can do that. And let's pray together right now. Yeah, if you want to come down and pray for people, that's fine. Don't feel like you have to have my invite. Let's just agree together right now. These desert places are so serious. And how we handle them are so important. That we got to have God's wisdom. We've got to have God's wisdom. So I pray right now, Father, in the name of Jesus, every one of us that are going through a desert experience, that we're in a place that is dry and alone, I pray that you would help us draw a line in the sand right now. That we will not let our souls go to that place across that line anymore. And I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit right now would touch each person. Bring encouragement. Bring faith. Bring hope. Oh, God. I ask that you take the hurt, the bitterness, and the pain. I ask that you lift that out of everybody's heart right now. And I pray that you would... Like, like happened to John the Baptist and happened to Jesus. They were both filled with your Holy Spirit when they came out of the desert. I pray that you would fill each person with your Holy Spirit, your spirit of love, faith, kindness, perseverance, just everything every person needs right now. Fill their heart in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, God, you're so good. Even in the desert, you're good, God. And we worship you, and we're still in our heart right now, asking that the Word of God will come to our hearts right now. Bring the healing, bring the encouragement, bring the strength that we need to endure. Bring the victory, God. Give a vision right now to each person of the victory that you're going to give to them. Help them see their future in the light of that victory now, in Jesus' name. They're winners. They're not beat up. They're winners. And I speak over this in the name of Jesus, that each person is a winner, is an overcomer, in, in Jesus' name. Let the power of your Holy Spirit work deep in each person's heart. We're not going to rush this, guys. Let the power of your Spirit work your miracle working power on the inside of their hearts right now. And there's just this word rolling around in my spirit I'd like to share. that God has brought you to this place and it's a hard place but he knows it and he's going to work with you in this place 
And he's going to lead you through this place in order that he can take you to a better place. The Lord wants to speak to your heart right now that he wants you to focus on the better place. That he's going to take you. He knows how long you'll be in this place. And he is saying he's got plenty of strength for you in this place. And there's coming a day when you're in a new place, a better place, that you'll be happy. That you'll be full of joy. Not because you're out of the place, but because of the work that God has done with you and in you in this place. Thank you, Father. Now we need to do something here together. We need to thank God for His work in us. We need to thank Him. Thank you, Lord. We honor you. Because these are works that we can't do. We can't change. We can't, we're helpless to change. But you are the change maker. You're the one that brings us to a level of maturity that we couldn't gain on our own. A level of faith that we, we couldn't even work up on our own. Because faith comes from you. It comes from your word. And I pray that the word of Christ dwell richly in every one of us now. And we want to thank you for that word on the inside of us. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You're so good. You really are good. And you see everything, God. Thank you, Father, for your loving kindness. Hmm.